0: Hey y'all, quick note before the show, this wasn't an easy one to record and we don't think it's going to be an easy one to listen to. We don't shy away from current events or heavy feelings and it's just kind of hard all around. It might not be for you, or at least not for you right now. We encourage you to listen at your own discretion and take care of yourself. Now for the show. Welcome to But Why Though? The podcast, a roundtable conversation about all things pop culture with members of the But Why Though? Writing staff. I'm your host Alex and I'm joined this week by Kate. Hi! Hi! And Suara. Hello. And this week is, it's a bit of a different episode. We, we're talking about reporting and hard times and kind of what we do and, and why we do it and how we do it um, and sort of how you cover things against the backdrop of um, issues in the industry and issues in the world and just kind of, um, I don't know, hopefully this is going to come around to like a, a a persevering optimistic stance, but just kind of, we wanted to address the state of things does that does any of them is that tracking is that making that's sense tracking. to you guys that's
1: yeah. tracking yeah. i if think you just take a look at the news you yeah, that's yeah. Tracking.
2: yeah. i think very specifically the state of things and how, how how we do our job for something that is about pew pew <laughs> like, like these like little like like silly little pop culture things and how do you wake up yeah. and still do this
0: yeah like how do you how do you things when you like scroll twitter and it is bouncing it is ricocheting between pop culture and then actual tragedies and yeah. then celebrity news that you do not care about and then political news that you should care about and it's it's just a lot um we're actually going to skip the news segment this week and just kind of get into it um kate this had originally been your your idea that you pitched of like what do we do when like the, basically the industry doesn't match the story kind of like Um, I think the phrase that I put in the notes is like the industry versus consumer news and making those meet.
2: Yeah. I think for me, it really came out of, so if you've been listening to us since before we did our new format, we like our podcast finished in the, in the middle of the pandemic. And a lot of that was because like the world was in a state that at the time I thought could not get worse. I was Mm -hmm. wrong. And it was very hard to focus on pop culture when it felt like everything else was so big and we were honing in on something that was so insignificant. I mean, I have a degree in pop culture, like studying pop culture from a sociological engine, anthropological, en- anthropological engine. And like pop culture is important, but in the big moments where things feel a certain way, it feels very small. And I think what I was feeling, again, because this idea came up... Um, before a lot of this stuff that's been happening in, in, in world events, or at least before things got to the, where they are now, um, which is significantly worse. It was really the fact that I work as a games developer, developing recruiter. Uh, I, I recruit people, I, rep- I recruit game devs for a game studio, um, which means that the bulk of my day for about the past two months have just been reading layoffs, have just been talking to people who had been laid off. Uh, I was laid off in November of last year. It's still a really fresh wound and it's creating a whole bunch of job trauma. And, and like job loss is a trauma. And mm-hmm. you have to figure out how you're going to survive, how you're going to feed your family, how you're going to do all this. And so I was putting myself just through the ringer. And then I would have to review a video game or I would just see tweets about, wow, we had Baldur's Gate and Starfield. This is a great year for gaming. And it's like, is it? Yeah. Like, is it actually a great year for gaming? And and so that was kind of one of those first points where it was just kind of like, how do I do pop culture? How do I do my job in pop culture and feed this funnel when this funnel is actively harming people? And so that was kind of why I brought it up because I, I, I genuinely was a little self-serving as I wanted to hear how other people coped with this kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't want to call it cognitive dissonance because it's not, but I feel like I have to turn off a piece of myself to engage with pop culture right now and do the work. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's especially yeah.
0: because the the two things that I think the three of us cover and are most familiar with are video games and then film and television, like those like three categories. And so much of those are like explodey and smashy and dramatic. And it's like, Oh, that's not like a fun thing to cover or think about or discuss presently like I mean, there, it's there is
1: important a... I would say like it's important to remember that we part I think a huge reason why so many fans are into it is because they're an escape from the horrors of our own reality mm-hmm. you know oh, where we could have fun where we could have the ideals of good triumphing over evil or at least for some moral mm. lessons to be taught and it's fiction serves many purposes it serves to help us analyze our own feelings, particularly our own grief. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking right now, of many amazing articles that Kate has written about how media has helped her navigate her own grief and trauma. And I highly recommend you read all those on the site. Like that's still important. It's also an escape. It's also an escape mm-hmm. like where, you know, like, this is just a very random example, but for me, the way I've just like been shutting my brain off is watching a, the last week is watching a bunch of episodes of Yu Gi Oh abridged on YouTube. It's so Excellent. good, it's so funny, and like it's just stupid. I love it because it's stupid. That's like what yeah. I my brain needs right now. Oh yeah, I you know like I, I just yeah.
2: I think the first not first time, but like when I started feeling it more was when I did the Jedi Survivor, uh, trip. Mm -hmm. EA brought out a whole bunch of press. It was a preview event. And the embargo was for like the Monday, like the following Monday. I had all my stuff set. I had tweets prepared. I showed the really cool lightsaber that they gave me. I posted pictures from Disneyland. Like it was a big trip. Um, And then they announced that they laid people off. Like that day that the embargo broke, they laid people off. And I think that like what's been hitting me, because I completely agree with you. Like, it, it, like entertainment is an escape for people and I think entertainment is a very cathartic way for people to process things. But when we look at it from the side of cultural critics and cultural journalists, how do because for me it's kind of hard we're like how do I rectify the fact that I did my job by writing a whole bunch of pieces and flooded this day with good EA hype when EA just laid off an entire department? And so it's kind of Mm -hmm. like, how do I realize that my work and my contribution to something is being used as a shield for bad decisions that a company makes? And I think that that's kind of where like the difference, not difference, but like kind of like as a fan, I need it. I'm watching K dramas and just like trying to zone out. Mm-hmm. and like I went to my husband was like, "I can't do anything right now. Like I really can't focus." And he was like, "Go go, go to the couch." And I went to the couch and I put on a K drama, and I just kind of zoned out, and that's important yep. But when you have to partake in the system, I think is where mm-hmm. it kind of gets hard to how do I keep doing this when everything is still very bad?"
0: yeah well and, and gaming is such a good example too because it's very much uh how the sausage gets made where everybody loves the game and no one wants to talk about what's happened i mean the the estimates i saw for the layoffs this year were between three and six thousand people yep. being let go um and we are not done with the year which is trouble
2: november november yeah. baby that is layoff month because it is the middle of the fourth quarter of the year when financial budgets are being set and headcount is being slashed, it's gonna yep. get worse.
0: Yeah. And so yeah, we just have all of this like, isn't Baldur's Gate and granted, I shouldn't throw Baldur's Gate 3 in here because I think Larian has actually been pretty good with their employee track record. Like they're mm-hmm. not doing major layoffs or anything. But yeah, like seeing all these games that it's like, hey, how cool is this? How great is this? And I'm like, but you fired all the people who made it. Or you never hired them to begin with an exploited contract work. Like and I, I think for me, what it comes down to it, I mean, at least from the journalistic perspective is having your consumer journalism be informed by your industry journalism, if that makes sense. Where you're like, we're going to talk about this and I'm going to put an asterisk on it because the game is cool, but I'm, you know, I don't want to let this slide, yeah. so to speak. Well, don't
2: you all feel weird doing that? So, like, I don't do that for a very, I didn't do it with the SAG strikes and I, I don't do it with mm-hmm. games because it feels like almost a cop-out for myself because if I really felt hmm. that way, I wouldn't be giving them the clicks and the distraction. Like, if I really felt mm. that way, that piece would have been about them um, doing their fuck shit. And I think that that, like, and I'm not saying that I'm right, like, at all. I'm just saying that yeah, that's yeah. how my brain kind of looks at it. It's kind of like, if I'm like, they're bad, but also they made a really cool game, like, it, it turns into this situation where it's like, I choose to ignore a lot of that when I write sometimes or most Mm. of the time because I feel like I'm undercutting myself by admitting and showcasing how bad something is and then being like, but I still consumed it every way. And here is my 10 out of 10. You should go consume it, too.
0: Yeah, you should go give them 60 bucks, 70 bucks.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's for my brain. And I don't think it's wrong to be like, hey, like. As a site runner and not just a writer we Mm -hmm. have to get content. We have to cover these things. And almost all of these big things have giant asterisks attached to them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it does... It gets hard to rectify where things are. It's like, where is my Mm -hmm. line? How do I navigate that line? How do I... When do I recuse myself? And when do I just do it?
1: I mean, that's like the... Aspect of being a reporter overall, right? A reporter and a journalist who's delving into the industry, you're reporting on the game, your own experience with it as well. You should be, you and others should be reporting on the working conditions, the layoffs, mm-hmm. and like the systemic inequities within these companies that lead to all of this and how shit they treat their employees. In a way, like that's why I'm grateful. You know, we've had the strikes, particularly, you know, the writer strike. Like, I'm you know reasons we'll discuss like i feel more sympathetic to the writers than sag after at the moment but um yeah just to like have this overall nuanced take of hey you should know how the sausage is made and you should be supporting Mm -hmm. these strikers and i think like overall at least from what i've seen fandoms have like been like yeah we're in support of like writers and actors fighting for their what the base of what they need and what they deserve to make the content we love so much and that energy needs to be directed towards video game developers as well I don't think it has been anywhere near as much I don't know if there's any sort of unionization effort for devs I would hope that there is there in the are. future
2: yeah I, oh, there, awesome, there awesome. are but there's unlike SAG which goes over everything it mm-hmm. would be like A24 production crew has one Apple has one Netflix has one it's tied mm-hmm. to different mm-hmm. companies that have union that have unions within the company. And there, I don't believe there's currently a broad overarching one. I know that there, I know that IOTC is trying to get one made, but yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think like going into like the SAG and like the WGA stuff, like I want to know how other people handle that, like at least initially, I know that like with WGA it seemed really easy they were like hey we can't promote this stuff but you can and we can't do stuff directly through the studio but like I'll do a one-off interview with you that I set up myself like that type of stuff um, mm-hmm. and there is an understanding of journalists and fans as a the work that we make is important and in order to have jobs to come back to you need to show that This is why we shouldn't be we should be employed because our work got supported. It's why Mm -hmm. they never called for um, boycotts of streamers and stuff like that. And then SAG came in. It was very all over the place because I don't think that there was a lot of, hey, we shouldn't cover anything, we shouldn't do this until SAG joined it because then a lot of the strike captains that I saw online, or I guess like only like two. We're like, journalists, you have to stop doing your work because you're it's promotion, which then showcase mm-hmm. that we're seen as part of a promotional machine, which sometimes we are. Um, if our quote gets used or if we get a press package, you know, and mm-hmm. we post about it. Um, I call them scab packages now. I get them. But like, I don't, I don't I'm not going to promote your show. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's where things got really thorny. And that's when I think a lot of uh, outlets and a lot of writers had to think about how they situated stuff. Because I know even like today, we did a uh, we did a news from G Kids. They released the English voice cast of The Boy and the Heron. And then at the very bottom, it was like all of this was done with SAG approval meeting SAG conditions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I I am curious as to how y'all individually approached, whether it was, did you all like not watch certain things? How did you approach it in writing? Did you like add an addendum Mm. to all of your tweets? Like what what did y'all do?
1: Well, I can say when it came to tweets, I would put like in parentheses, sag after strong when talking about actors or WGA strong, talking about writers in articles um i know it, But why though we would link to the discussion with fantastic discussion uh with danny fernandez um on the podcast and all of our like film reviews so like you know people would be aware of the strike and other articles like uh for other sites we may have like the blurb at the bottom like this was made you know during the sag after wga strike i think for me i've been operating in the sense that hey i am a freelance journalist i'm just doing my job Like and I have, for example, at my SDCC coverage, I kept coverage about the strike and questions about the strike top of mind. So like Mm -hmm. I was doing my job. I was like showing up in support. And if anyone comes at me and says I wasn't, then that's on them. My work speaks for itself. And I just like couldn't get over. Truly, I couldn't get over and sort of hand-wringing that was happening at first when those announcements were made. Like, you can't quote-unquote promote this, or you might be an influencer. Like, you know, sort of confusion going around. Like, the way sag after rolled it out was truly a mess at first. They had to clarify as they went along with it and made, like, literally thousands of people who work in this industry, like the film and uh, TV uh, journalist industry, fearful for their professions i mean mm-hmm. it just like wga f- flawless like just just be- beautifully done like these writers are smart writers us writers are smart whether we're on the journalist side or creative side and the fact that sag after couldn't like get that clear message together like i think that speaks volumes honestly and mm-hmm. i'm glad they did i'm glad like you know most people like Essentially, like not to sound arrogant, but they basically started doing what I and we have, but why though as well, like did like of, hey, we're just doing our jobs, but still to get there was just like, I don't know, it was just something to observe.
0: Yeah, I think for me to go to go back to your original question, I had maybe an easier time with the WGA and SAG after strikes because I to me, I found it very easy to pivot to talking about the people rather than the content Mm -hmm. Um, where it was, you know, okay, we're you know, we're striking that struck work. We can't talk about this. What I can say is I really like this actor and, you know, or I this person has a lot of insightful things to say about the strikes or, you know, just kind of promoting the individuals over that. And I think that's harder to do with games when, you know, I, I don't know a lot of people who can name game devs who are at these massive studios like people can name like you know concerned ape and and these smaller you know one two-man teams but when it comes to like who's your favorite guy over at capcom working on reloading animations no one has that name in their pocket
2: now all they know is if they if it is a game developer who ended up becoming a studio head and if they're american Mm -hmm. (laughs) those are the two things
0: yeah or if they work at nintendo (laughs) and then maybe yeah or nintendo
2: Yeah. Or Final Fantasy. It has to be a giant tentpole franchise that has multiple games under the belt in order to even get known. And even. Yeah. So it
0: just it's so much harder to, you know, to be like, let's talk about the people in an industry where, you know, and not that there's not tons and tons and tons of people who work on a movie or a show. But, you know, when you see like, oh, this video game was that came out that everyone loves. There was 700 people who worked on it. And it's like, okay. that's i i don't even know where to start with talking about how great those people are but you know a tv show or a small studio or um you know small cast and all that it feels a lot more approachable so that was kind of how i've been handling it is to focus on the people rather than the projects
1: that's a good way of putting it
0: now that said we're also now at a point where even promoting the people can sometimes be hard just based yeah. on responses to current events and that I don't really have steps on how to navigate. Yeah,
2: I think when it was all like inter pop culture things, like they were entertainment industries, and like the capitalism mm-hmm. of it all, which we've talked about multiple times, but it was still contained to like that industry. Me being like, "Hey, I'm gonna post this review of a game," and they laid it all like laid stuff off. Like that was jarring and weird, but like. I've deleted like a lot of self-promotion or promoting posts for my work or like Mm -hmm. um, even just shit posts because like it feels weird doing that when I also know that so many people has done nothing to speak out against the genocide in Gaza by Israel. And and so like I feel like I can't not retweet. I feel like I can't not like help get stuff out. And then now we're in a situation where it's like, oh, it's not just a layoff. It's like, okay, I'm going to tell, I'm going to, post information about the latest war crime. Hey, go read my review of this page drama. Like it is so jarring. And if I have to pick to do one, it's going to be to try to speak for people that nobody, or try to show people speaking that nobody is listening to. And I think that now that we have world events coming into in a way that is catastrophic and evil, I think now I'm just, like, I I don't, I'm just at a complete loss. And it's, like, now, like, I don't even want to retweet for Strike stuff because, like, all the people that I used to support, like, they haven't said anything. They've accepted that Mm. after 500 kids had been said that they had died and that's gone way up since then. That they were gonna put out like SAGAFRA as a unionist wasn't gonna put out a statement for Israel, and like none of the people that were vocal that I followed have said anything, like not "oh, mm-hmm. why do you speak for me? Why are you doing this?" And so now, like, I don't. Labor rights are cool, also. Like, I don't know how I can support you when you're like, I'm yeah. questioning whether or not you're for genocide. I
0: yeah. say human rights are cooler. So <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean. I mean- we we also have to remember that the president of SAG-AFTRA is Fran Drescher, who is a very very staunch Zionist. Who yeah. has raised literally raised millions for the IDF in yeah. fundraisers mm-hmm. and shit. So like, I will. I'm not I'm not trying to give them credit. No, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the rest credit, but like I do think that it has a key part to play in it. Um, yeah. of them not voicing any support for Palestinians like undergoing the genocide. Yeah. Uh. I know of individual actors, you know, particularly like Arab and other Swana actors who have spoken up for Palestinians, but obviously, you know, like they're a relative minority. Yeah. Um, A few like others outside of the community. Yeah. I saw like, for example, Maitreyi Ramakrishnan, Uh, Post in support of Palestinians today. I mean, although like, you know, that just also shows like it had to get to this level for more people to be saying something. I have seen more actors be saying something. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Um, Like, They had no
2: problem dragging Fran when she was throwing them under Mm -hmm. the bus. Like, if you can drag her for that, why can't you just say, I don't agree with this stance that my union said?
0: Mm -hmm. Especially when that stance has, has nothing to do with the union. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, no, I think it's actually also to do with the fact that Zionists hold a lot of power in the entertainment industry, unfortunately. And by the way, if anyone wants to come at me like, oh, he's making an anti-Semitic comment. No, I am not. No. I am saying Zionist as an ideology. That's not Judaism. Which
2: primarily in the United States are Christians. Are Christians.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. As you've reminded me multiple times, gay okay, Christian Zionism is very, very much a thing. It is the backbone
2: huge of American yes. politics and lobbying.
1: Exactly, exactly. And what I'm heartened by, what I keep reminding myself of, this past weekend, uh, we're recording this October 17th, so this past weekend, millions, literally millions of people worldwide and tens of thousands of people within the U.S., for example, at the D.C. protest, there was over 10,000 who marched from the White House to 14th Street. It was amazing. Um, Anyway, millions, basically, like, the majority of the world knows what's going on, and they're marching for Palestine. They're marching for Gaza. Yeah. The key thing is, it's pol- certain politicians in power and, like, other institutions of power that are allowing or enabling this genocide to unfold. So that's the key thing to remember that the world is for Palestine, but the way you get those pressure points of those who keep enabling it, that's how you like help stop it. Like, for mm-hmm. example, I will just say, call your Congress people, call your Congress people and get them to make a statement. I'll give you a key example. The other day after the horrific murder of this six year old Palestinian American child, uh, Wadia al Fayoumi. My congressman had not made a statement yet, like the day after. I called his office and literally 30 minutes later, there was a statement denouncing yeah. it.
2: And I think that that's one of the things I keep thinking about as an, interse- an intersection of, of entertainment in general is that we are, our country is doing Islamophobia. 2.0 electric boogaloo right now and it, it, it's it is every person who is deemed to look like the racialized stereotype of a muslim that's gonna mm-hmm. suffer we've done this before and we're doing it again and i think for me like when you do look at media media whether it was journalists that contributed to it or the the subsequent films and tv shows that that contributed to it like that's the cycle we're in right now We already Mm -hmm. saw what happened when we did it the first time. Like my first work in DEI was chronicling Texas hate crimes and mapping them onto racist rhetoric that was given by people and speeches and like different pieces. And like, that is where we're going. And I think it's kind of like as an adult now, like a fully formed adult, it is, I feel somehow more helpless than I did as like an, whatever <laughs> when I was younger yeah I think that's what makes it harsh about a lot of like the invasive way that like Christian Zionism very specifically like to call that out here is working in the country because it makes it and it was working back then too if if you want an example watch the left behind movies like like the okay. watch that piece of propaganda because it will tell you everything that Christian Zionists believe mm-hmm. When I post stuff that isn't related to Gaza or anything else, I feel like I am contributing to the bread and circuses of, hey, look over here, hey, look over here, here's here's a pop culture thing, look over here, and I feel like I'm letting down the Swana like journalists that I know, who I know have to feel extremely isolated right now with seeing Mm. what's happening in all of their industries, whether it's entertainment or, like, broadcast journalism or, you know, journalism more broadly. And I think that that's where, like, this balance is very hard. I do agree, Swara. Like, it was heartening to see how many people stepped up and were at protests, especially in the U.S., like, whether it was San Antonio or Houston or Austin for Texas. I remember an undergrad protesting for Palestine. Much smaller group. (laughs) Much smaller group. It was, I think it was, like, 2012 to 2014 Um, and our faculty members would literally walk in front of us behind us and along the side because there had been issues of people trying to run us over. And that is something that was really awesome to see it kind of change. I hate that it took this to make it change because it's been happening for 70 years I think that's all to say it's just, like, I don't understand what to do and how to kind of, like, navigate everything. And I, because, I, and, like, brain-wise, I don't know how to compartmentalize when things are this bad. Like, I don't know how to shut it off. And mm-hmm. I don't want to shut it off, because if I shut it off, I feel like I'm, like, not giving the Palestinians the respect that they deserve to be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it feels disrespectful to disconnect.
2: Yeah.
0: And to disengage. And yeah, it's... I mean, I I don't have an answer. Suara, do you?
1: I was telling this to a friend earlier tonight who is feeling very much the same way you were, Kate. And it's just like, to be of use for the Palestinian cause and other peoples who suffer oppression... It does not do to subject ourselves or, you know, like, make ourselves feel bad for things that are, frankly, often beyond our control. Which is really hard to say. It may even feel selfish, but that is the fact. You have to take care of yourself so that you will be able to help later. It's hard. That might feel trite trite to say, but... That's been like seriously a guiding light for me, and I think mm-hmm. I don't think you know. Speaking of my Palestinian friends, like I think they appreciate just anyone speaking up here or there. Like obviously there should be more, but I think the important thing is is to speak up, but not for your own. At always at the expense of your own mental health, there has to be a balance. Yeah, well, and that makes like. Sense. Again, mm-hmm. to enable yourself to be a better use to the Palestinian cause.
2: Yeah. I think the other thing that's been really interesting to watch from a media perspective, and I think specifically games media. Um mm-hmm. so in I believe it was twenty twenty one, the last big time that Gaza like came on like the world stage. And I I, I don't say that to be disrespectful to the issue. I'm just saying that like all the yeah. liberals on Twitter were like, yeah, I'll say free Palestine and I'll say this and I'll defend Palestinians. And IGN put out statements in support of Palestine. That's and
1: right, yeah.
2: everybody came out of the, the woodwork on the games media side to speak and be in solidarity and make posts, not just reposts. And now it is silent. The only people who are talking in games media are at GameSpot. And they're saying it because they're watching Tamar Hussein, who is at GameSpot, get run through the ringer by racists online for calling Mm -hmm. support, and they're coming in to show him that he isn't alone. And I commend that greatly. Like, the GameSpot people are Mm -hmm. phenomenal humans. But it is weird to see how fast that switch flipped... When, like, just two years ago, everybody was all for the cause, and now you bring in, like, the post nine eleven rhetoric, and nobody, like, they're just posting their game reviews, and they're just talking Mm -hmm. about Game of the Year predictions. And I think that that's probably, Suara, like, where it gets weird, because it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm watching people that I know used to do something, (laughs) and now they're not. Um, but I, I I do agree, and I, I do appreciate you saying, like, that, hey, like, sometimes you do need to turn off, otherwise you will not be here a month from now because you will be exhausted and burnt out and mm-hmm. on the verge of a breakdown. Um,
1: I will just say, like, another reason that they may not be posting as much is because of the at least initial PR machine of how mm-hmm. this current yeah. incarnation of this, like, event unfolded. You know, it started with the, we can all agree, horrible attack by Hamas that did kill many innocent civilians, you know, like at least a few hundred, while understanding the context in which this was happening when Gazans and Palestinians systemically subjected to apartheid, to occupation, to routine killing. It was a powder keg that was waiting to blow up yeah. and mm-hmm. then you have the idf's horrific disproportionate genocidal response but the pr machine worked you know like to only focus on the israeli victims which you know like never talked about palestinian victims before yeah. so it's just mm-hmm. like that like dehumanization of palestinians had always worked and it was working initially but i mean we're talking the day of. I hope I'm right. I mean Knock on wood, but that I had to get this level for more people to do to like see what the idea from what Israel for what they yeah. really are. And <laughs> that the PR machine, I've heard people say like that this is might be the end of APAC, like, you know, or APAC's influence, which mm-hmm. great. Excellent. So I don't know. I but like I just watching it unfold, I feel like that the, PR, the this might be, I hope, is the nail in the coffin for Israel's PR because there's like barely any coming back for this. Like, this is like one of the most horrible war crimes in modern history I've literally ever heard of. Yeah. And not to like compare like struggles or anything, but at least within the Middle East, I've never heard of any like dictator or like outside of Bashar al-Assad who has like, you know, unfortunately bombed hospitals. But even then I haven't heard of him bombing, killing over 500. That's insane. There's no coming back from this. I feel, I mean, I hope I'm right, but like, we'll see. Yeah.
2: And I will say like, there has been, uh, I know that uh, if not now, um, which is a fantastic American Jewish organization who so. has consistently been fighting for the end of the apartheid state in Israel, um has been doing um putting their bodies on the line and coming out to block mm. the entrances to the White House., um, and those protests oh, are getting yeah. bigger. like they they are getting bigger. They are not waning. It does suck that this is what it took. but I, I hope people wake up. Um, I think my fear, mm-hmm. and this is why I have such a hard time just posting my little shift posts and posting my anime reviews and talking about like such and such, is because the civil rights movement, the U.S. got pressure from other countries and from the northern states because people had to watch people being maimed by dogs shot with water hoses like they had to watch the violence the vietnam war Mm -hmm. didn't end because we ran out of bombs or napalm it ended because the american people finally saw the pictures of what was happening there and that was one of the first times that videography was used in war and it came back and we saw it
0: you believe it when you see it
2: i have i have little faith i hope i'm wrong but we saw all of the atrocities that the Bush administration did in Iraq, and we, I mean, people spoke up against it, but we let a lot of it happen because of the rhetoric that was used. And that same rhetoric mm-hmm. is using here is being used here, and I am so horribly scared that people are going to see this, this genocidal violence and, and do nothing and feel nothing and i i think that that is that is my biggest fear i think i'm being disproven but i remember like we saw we we still like what happened to the protests in 2020 it just kind of disappeared and our 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 cops Mm -hmm. got more money under the biden administration and
1: yeah yeah it's rough again I, again, I'll I'll say, like, in each of these, there is a different context. I think, like, you know, for example, with Biden getting elected, there were, like, well-meaning liberals who thought, oh, there's a Democrat in. You know, that's what, like, will make things better and just, like, sort of shut themselves off from it when they shouldn't yeah. have. That's something, like, really in American politics, like, that's not, like... And I've heard people say, like, <laughs> you know, that they... If Trump is elected again, at least like you know, liberals will wake up to like you know resistance saying Trump shouldn't be elected again no. because he's now threatening to like expel basically any Palestinian that he wants. And, he's like, also threatening,
2: like,
1: to threatening, threatening to bomb Mexico. Threatening bomb Mexico too. Oh hey. fun. <laughs> um, yeah. in the like Iraq War example, I'm saying this as like Kurdish, someone who's Kurdish, whose family's from northern Iraq or Kurdistan. That was like a, you know, that was after nine eleven when we were swept up in the fear and like there was legitimate grief that was weaponized to invade a country that literally nothing to do with nine eleven. I'm saying this as a Kurd, like you know, Saddam did horrific things to us and Mm commit genocide against us, you know, with the unfall campaign and Halabja. But like, you know, Kurds will agree that like now they're not better off like Iraq's going down. It's really bad and Kurdistan's really mm-hmm. bad. Like I actually am hopeful. Maybe it's just like me being an eternal optimist, but genuinely I have seen I've seen more like pushing back against 9/11 rhetoric. Like not necessarily like in our media as much, like main media, but again among people, like among yeah. our generation, millennials and Gen Zers who know better. For example, so a CNN poll was taken, uh, I think a few days ago, if not a week ago, asking Americans where they stand on Israel's aggression towards Palestinians. Unfortunately, people unfortunately, it was around 50% strongly support, 20% um, somewhat support, so overall 70% support. However, it goes down drastically by age group.
2: Yeah.
1: Amongst like, the youngest, like seventeen to twenty-five, I think, it was only seventeen percent who said they supported Israel.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. So no, I,
1: basically,
0: the kids are all right. Yeah, yeah that's you know? encouraging.
2: I will say yeah. what I'm hoping is happening with with older folks, or what I hope happens, or specifically like Black and Brown folks, or just folks from folks who come from marginalized communities. Is my mom, like, she gave me mm-hmm. hope. Because she was very much like, I'm going to research all this because this doesn't sound right. Because a lot of the rhetoric used for um, Palestinians um, and and Muslims and and Arabs more broadly um, with how it's Mm -hmm. been weaponized, it reminded her about a lot of the rhetoric that gets used for migrants in Texas and how we're dehumanized as an entire community and how, um, I mean the the people at the border or the the military at the border is literally throwing children back into the water when they get them and there's razor wire in the water and there's all this this stuff happening down there and so for my mom it was her kind of understanding that that eye like that 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 Sauron eye of racism it just oscillates it oscillates and it's them now but it's probably gonna come back to us or it's gonna shift over here. And I think that, that what I hope everybody learns and what I've tried to been to teach people, and, and maybe this is, you know what? This is my ray of hope. People are listening. Mm-hmm. You know who trains the American police forces to be extremely brutal? The IDF. You know who has given us all of our technology and surveillance at the border and trained on how to stop people crossing? The IDF. And I think that more largely when people can, because... We live in a terrible society where you have to have Mm -hmm. an interpersonal connection with something to be angry at it. I hope when people learn about how much the brutality of the IDF is enacted here in the United States, hopefully they can start to wake up to understand. And this is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what the people in Gaza and the West Bank are going through right now and have gone through historically. We get a fraction of a fraction Mm -hmm. of a fraction of it. But we still wind up with dead with dead black men and dead kids and because that is what they have been taught by this force. And so I am hoping at the very least that as people start learning more and asking more questions, that they realize that 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 like we are more connected to the Palestinians than anybody thinks. And That may be overstepping. I'm not trying to equate what the genocide that they're going through with what with anything that any of our communities have gone through. But I think that's you're exactly
1: right, though. You're exactly right, though, because the reason, like the. United States does have such a vested interest in Israel and the IDF is to be a training ground for these technologies, for uh, these police trainings, and Mm -hmm. really to have, like, a check in the Swana region for oil. I was reading, like, how it's to help, partially to help ensure that, like, governments, some certain governments don't nationalize their oil. Oil really does come at the, you know, for us in the water region, it becomes like it's the core of like why there's so many conflicts and so much intervention and <laughs> sanctions, yeah. et cetera. And but yeah, it's like it functions as a Western imperialist yeah. outpost.
2: Yeah, and I yeah. and like to also like quantify it too. Like Palestinians during the 2020 um, protests, like they were teaching protesters in the U.S. how to get around the protest busting tactics because yes. they knew them mm-hmm. because they knew what yeah. was going to be done because it had been done to them and instead of just turning away they offered help and support in however they could from from enduring yeah. it. I mean
0: and that that right there is kind of the whole like who you should be relating to in this conflict is the people who taught us how to resist not the people who imported brutality. Yeah. Like
2: yeah. I feel like I have talked to Alex. How are you? <laughs> How are you handling all of this? Because you you have to set up all of our podcasts with our stupid little so, pop culture like topics. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, for me,
0: it's hard. Because I, I will say, going, going way, way, way back, the thing that actually broke my ability to use Twitter and social media in general was summer 2020. Um, between COVID and the George Floyd protests and all of that, I was just like, there's not a reason for me to, me to be making stupid jokes and tweeting and doing all this stuff, which is it's funny only because in my private life, what I what I do for my friends and family is like the the way that someone else put it to me is like, I don't come to you because I need a lot of advice. I come to you because you make a safe space for me to not think about the hard thing. Uh, but then I just like refuse to do that on social media. And I'm just like, I'm just going to post about the hard things and like put that out there. And maybe I need to read, read, examine my whole perspective of like, what do I, what do I bring here? I mean, when I was in college, my family's house almost burned down and I was like making jokes and going on coffee runs that morning. Like that's who I am. Uh, so everything that's going on has been incredibly hard. Cause it's like all of those things, like being that distraction providing that comfort making those safe spaces like i'm happy to do it but you also never know how people are going to respond to you trying to do it if you don't know them where it's like the right people will understand that i'm not being flippant that i'm not trying to minimize but the wrong people will take it in the worst possible way Um, and that makes it really hard to engage and really hard to be out there Um, but again i'm also you know i'm a white dude living i'm a liberal coastal elite, whatever. Like I, in In terms of demographics, you're
2: wearing a cardigan right now. (laughs) I am wearing a cardigan.
0: I like, in terms of demographics, I understand that I'm so far removed from this situation. Um, And I mean, really the best thing that I can be doing is, you know, advocating to white christians that maybe their zionism is like sort of death culty in their interpretation yep. of the book of revelation like i i like i'm equipped enough with studying theology and scripture they're like i can make all the arguments as to why what you're actually engaging in is a death cult um, <laughs> yes and like maybe that's what i need to be doing
2: take on like alex we alex takes you. on john Hagee. let's do it
0: yeah <laughs> exactly like it's it's mind-blowing to me how many people are like we want to see israel reestablished because that's what's in revelation and i'm like so you want to have one of the signs of the end times like that's what you're stoked for
1: zachary exactly. because like truly it's a death call it's it, it is. really yeah, is like, a death call
0: well and it's funny because like, like Muhammad you know, read, says. yeah read through scripture and it talks about like hey you know what you shouldn't be psyched for the end times Uh, And yet here we are with American Christianity and, you know, evangelicalism and yeah, it's just an incredibly frustrating place to be, but yeah, to go, to go back to how I just, I
1: just want to say, and through their actions, they're helping support genocide of Mm -hmm. Palestinian Christians. Yep. Yep. The first Christians ever to exist.
0: Yep. You know, it's absolutely. The timeline started in
2: 1776, Suara. That was when it all was invented. (laughs)
1: Oh, when Jesus went to America. Yes, first. exactly. He
2: landed on Plymouth <laughs> Rock and then he didn't do anything until they threw some tea into the lake.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And then he was like, oh, we're throwing tea in the harbor. I'm I'm into this.
2: Turn it over um, from turning uh, over tables to throwing in tea, apparently.
0: Yeah, I, but it's I mean, it's just it, I mean, it, it's an absurd stance mm-hmm. to to take to me as, again, as somebody who is. Like I lit. I mean, Kate's got a degree in pop culture. I literally have a degree in theology. Like, yeah. I know what I'm talking about here.
1: I actually sort of want to sidetrack this conversation and talking about yeah, please media do. again, and like why we love it so much. Yeah. Um, it's gonna talk about one of my favorite series of all time: Avatar: The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Um, you know, I think. That series really helped inspire in me and many millions of fans worldwide, like a real sense of justice for persecuted peoples and Mm -hmm. understanding and acknowledging the rules of war. I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of like certain story arcs and stuff in the show. You know, like particularly the
0: whole premise is that there was once a genocide
1: yes exactly that's the entire very, thing very much based on like the tibetan monks who were at least partially genocide by the chinese government yeah now, that's a very direct parallel there are war crime. they discuss war crimes in the show like i know like this arc gets flack but when jet you know, when they first meet jet and he in the first season he's about to like wipe out a town um some people were saying like, oh, you're saying that the radical like you know he's too radical but, well, no, he was about to commit a war crime, yeah. <laughs> like killing innocent like they were colonizers, yes, but still, like kids as well, like an inspired yeah. Nation kid, so it's like like that would there are rules of engagement as well you know like Mm -hmm. etc so like i I was yeah no i
2: was gonna say like to that point physical violence as an act of resistance is not illegal when you are in occupied territory that is an international law you can fight back against the military with whatever means you have if you were occupied and you were under apartheid you cannot do it to civilians. And that's where the war crime comes into play. And I think think that that is the thing that people have been conflating within the current conflict is they don't understand that there is a difference between like, no, resistance Mm -hmm. doesn't mean standing there and saying kumbaya. No, you can violently resist your oppressor. It just has to be the military.
1: Exactly. Avatar and Korra, they grapple with these questions in such elegant ways yeah. I just want to say that Brian, one of the at least one of the creators, Brian Konitsko, um, in 2021, he posted an emphatic support of Palestine and Gaza. He hasn't posted, at least to my knowledge, he hasn't posted anything yet on the current uh mm-hmm. genocide unfolding. Um, maybe he's just not on social media that much. But to me, that knowledge that At least one of the creators of one of my favorite shows, series of all time, like, has Palestine in their hearts. That means a lot to me. And I want Mm -hmm. to be supporting creators who have their art, who imbibe their art with themes of resistance and, like, overcoming whether it's racism, whether it's uh, injustice, apartheid, Mm -hmm. imperialist. Like, I will just you Know, give a shout out to Nadia Shamas's and Sarah Al Faki's Squire. Yeah, uh, Nadia Shamas is Palestinian, uh, Sarah Al Faki is Jordanian. Um, Squire is an amazing graphic novel that's all about themes of imperialism, of serving under the empire. It's actually like a post 911 allegory, but set in a sp- Arab slash Swana setting and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Please read Squire. Art is important because art does inspire resistance. It informs about resistance, at least certain art Mm -hmm. does. And that's not to say like, oh, you read something and you're a radical. No, it's about taking lessons from these amazing pieces of art to inform how you view the world and take action there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I the the creator movie has its issues um, with making Asia mm-hmm. monolith and like it kind of flattens out and softens some edges. But the one thing it does do well, which is what leaves me flabbergasted, that some people who are super gung for the creator movie just do not care about what's going on. Is that like it? It doesn't villainize the physical resistance against what is happening. It contextualizes it and says that like, hey, this is actually like the history that you're seeing, and the lead character goes through and kind of sees everything that led up to all of those points and to the resistance. And I think that like, you're right. I think media has a space in showing people who have never had to resist like what it looks like, um, Mm -hmm. and giving them the an empathetic way to understand it. Um, I don't know. I, I it feels weird because I feel like because we've all been, we all knew that the empire was bad in Star Wars, and we all like like Sauron cutting down the forest, and I, like we, yeah. like, it, it, I think that like that's the thing is. I wonder how much having these stories of resistance so detached from our worlds has made it that it's hard sometimes to recognize it. Um and why it's easier to classify others in a way, like yeah. the other, like capital so, O, um, with how it's been done. That that's one of the things I've been thinking, because you're yeah. right. Like I like one, all the Fire Lord stuff like posted today and I was like, I was about to tweet, all of you who love the 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 stills, remember they were an occupying force and Aang survived a genocide and there is in fact war in Ba Say um i didn't yeah. but i wanted to
0: <laughs> yeah well so i'm like i'm inclined to agree that it's it it almost is too detached i feel like though there's a part of me that is fascinated that we are so deep in the era of nuanced villains and the idea that maybe both sides have a point and yet with something like this we have people who are yeah. coming down hard on this side's right that side's wrong and it's like no no, no. it's possible that that both sides suck yeah like and that both that, that both statements are true you can oppose what initially happened to kick this off and you can oppose the response that yeah. it inspired exactly. like yeah and but somehow like somehow in this age of like every villain is complicated people are not connecting that and that's really interesting to me and frustrating yeah. deeply frustrating
2: yeah which i do think is a good point about the episode you brought up Sora. like that like that that's the point of that it's the fact that like no he's justified in his resistance just not in Mm -hmm. that very specific not in that way like the fire the fire nation is still bad but it is understanding that you cannot you cannot enact collective punishment (laughs) against a group of people (laughs) um because that's a wide time wrote it
0: down (laughs) in a rule in a rule book
2: it's almost like in geneva a thing happened (laughs)
0: like a convention of some kind oh god I guess the thing that, in terms of the why do we do what we do and how do we cover this is like media is and, and storytelling specifically is this connective tissue yeah. and it's a way that we learn and it's a way that we unite. And so because that still holds value, I guess covering it still to some degree holds value, um, even yeah. if it feels like wrong or inappropriate, like ultimately it, it, it's a I mean it's a it's a personal question for each journalist for each you know vlogger youtuber podcast or whatever but it's like if your heart is in the place of like I'm doing this because I see it as a point of unity and as a point of connection like that to me seems worthwhile
2: yeah which yeah. I will say as we wrap down like I did feel that last night when I watched killers of the flower moon um and I wrote up my review my reviews I think like 1500 words and it, it's really deconstructing the fact that Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a movie that I was not happy. I, I don't really like Scorsese as a director. I think he's long winded. I know that's sacrilege. Uh, I think... No, I feel like that's right. <laughs> but I that movie is a masterpiece. And it's a masterpiece because he very specifically didn't tell it from the Osage's side because that's not his story. His story mm-hmm. was Ernest's story. His story was putting the audience who was going to be predominantly not native into that character and condemning them through that character, that the com- the mm-hmm. complacency that we have shown, the active, um, the the love as fetishization, and all of these pieces have built together to erase a story. The way that that film ends, um, and when this comes out, it would have it would have played theatrically. So I feel fine saying this. It it, it ends up closing on like an old timey true crime thing, um, and mm-hmm. the last words of it is reading uh, Molly's obituary, and the last words are, and there was no mention of the murders. And it's very clear that, like, historically, things get erased. Active genocides get erased. What happened in Tulsa, what happened in Osage Nation, all of those pieces are continued acts of a... Imperial power trying and and and, imperial, and and people who saw themselves as better and the racism that 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 came with trying to race the people and take what they had for themselves and watching that movie, um, maybe this is giving Scorsese more credit than he deserves, but I, I I thought it was well done in this way. Mm-hmm. Is it made me? We shouldn't have to wait for recognition when things are so there are this terrible and when tragedy hits our Mm -hmm. communities and we and we are objectified and vilified and violated against all humanity's conscience but there was something about watching the ending of that film that gave me hope that at least somebody is watching that at least somebody is watching and if it's not now somebody will tell that story and it won't get erased Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's I I do think that it was cathartic to watch that movie and write about it and I think especially um, I'm hoping all the white film bros who go watch it um, come out and support Palestine because they realize that they're a part of the complacent nature that causes (laughs) seriously that causes festering violence Um,
0: if that can be Scorsese's unexpected legacy I would love that (laughs) Yeah.
1: but again I will say and I hope that does happen but it's all about these institutions of power that supports. Yes. Socialism. No. One hundred
2: percent. Yeah. Absolutely. It's
1: it's about finding those pressure points where they can be either swayed differently or made to feel shame. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. like, and I'm not. By the way, I want to make clear: I am not judge. Especially after this, I absolutely do not blame anyone who does not want to
2: vote. I completely. I told this to Matt and I'm going to say yeah. it right now. I have always sure. voted because I know how hard it was for my people to get the right to vote here in Texas. Mm-hmm. I know how hard my state very, very much doesn't want me to vote. At this moment in time, I do not want to vote for somebody who is pro-genocide yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. it was, mm-hmm. it was the biggest, like, Oh my God. Like I, Sorry, yeah. did not mean to interrupt you, but like no, no, that no, no, felt no. good hearing good. because that is where I have been. Like yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. No, I completely like understand one hundred percent. Like, I'm just thinking, you know, for myself strategically, how I go about this. It's like you wanna like elect people in power who you can shame, whom you can effectively bully, you know, to like actually mm-hmm. either you know, like however much you can.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that is a good ending point for the episode. Um, this is a really good conversation, incredibly enlightening and just a lot to think about. I, I have to say we skip over recommending media. Does that feel right to you guys? Or do you want to plug some stuff that people should check out?
1: I think let's do some plugs. Like I think.
0: All right. Yeah. What do you got?
1: I recommend the Persian version, which I have, I, I am writing in the midst of writing review. It's, but All it's right. a bit delayed. Sorry, Kate, it just, on my mind. Almost but like the world is
2: not in a great spot. <laughs> Where, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. But, but no, like the Persian version is coming out in theaters, thir- uh, Friday, October 20th, Um, you know, wide theaters. It had a release, Um, limited release last year it is amazing it is just like about this persian american family and the heart of his a mother daughter story that i think anyone can relate to and it's so moving it's so funny and i love this movie and i just highly recommend you watch it the persian version
0: all right i'll definitely check that out uh kate what about you
2: obviously killers of the flower moon I understand that you don't, you may not want to go to a movie for three and a half hours. I think that unless you're Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson, you shouldn't have a movie that that's long. Um, And I walked into that movie fully expecting, fully expected to take a pee break because I had had a a drink and a can of water. I did not because that it felt like it moved quickly and it (laughs) earned every single minute of it. Like I don't think that there is another movie that is over three minutes that wasn't made by Peter Jackson (laughs) that earns every single minute that it is, that it is on this screen. And I think that that is an accomplishment in and of itself. So watch that. It's going to be nationwide. They haven't released when it is going to come to streaming, but it is, it will eventually be there. Um, And then the other thing I want to plug is another weird one that I didn't think I was going to like. So this is the dreaded time of year for me. I don't like dramas. I don't want to watch dramas. I want to watch genre Mm -hmm. films. Uh, And now we're in For Your Consideration season. We're in Oscar season where all the Oscar movies come out. And so I've been going to go watch a lot of the dramas and the biopics and I've been shocked how much I've loved them because I also loved Priscilla. And that is coming out November 3rd, I believe. I give zero, zero anythings about the Presleys or Elvis Presley. That movie made me care. It was so well acted. All right. So well written. So lonely and intimate. Like, yeah, that I would those two things, Priscilla and Killers of the Flower Moon, like just. Real good. All right. Real, real good. Nice.
0: I'm going to recommend things that are basically vibe based. Um, The game Cocoon. It's available on Game Pass. It's just just puzzles, Mm. just puzzles and vibes. I had a really good time with it. Uh, And then the whole discography, it's three albums of the band Covet, which is just really good, instrumental, like very pleasant to listen to and relax and not think about things. Um, Go check them out as well. Uh, But yeah, I think that does it. If you liked what you heard here, if you want more, you're in luck. We are basically everywhere. uh, Twitter slash X, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, uh, we have a Discord. If you want to give us a like, a comment, subscribe, retweet, whatever engagement, like we're always here for it. And if you really like us, you can throw us a little bit of extra money on Patreon. Uh, that keeps the site going, keeps us doing what we do and what you love. As for me, you can find me on social media. Well, you can find me on Twitter at most always Alex And Kate, where can people find you?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Randier. It's not very active other than... <laughs> Y'all listen to this episode, so there you go.
0: Yeah, you know what to expect. And Swara?
1: Yeah, I'm on the uh, sinking trash fire ship that is Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. It's on news today. They're beta testing the pay $1 a month in the Philippines. And
0: you know, they're probably
1: going to do that soon. And I swore like, you know, when that happens, actually happens for us. Like I'm going to delete it. So Same. I guess follow me at spider swars there. However long you can, but I'm also at spider swars on threads, blue sky and Instagram. Uh, I'm a co-host of the middle geeks podcast where we cover anything and everything in SWANA media um stay tuned we're planning on having an episode about palestine and gaza coming out soon um it's just um you know it's hard to like organize yeah. right now but stay tuned stay
0: tuned for that please for sure yeah go check that stuff out uh thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next time